and some of the stuff I read about him when he joined the Yardbirds. Boyds. We joined Boyds. the Yard Boyds. Yard Boyds. <laughs> Welcome back to Asinine Radio, a weekly podcast where we talk about music and, well, that's pretty much it. So, uh, let's go! Way she goes, boys. Welcome back to Asinine Radio, episode 164. This week we are getting into the behemoth of an album, and that is Led Zeppelin 2 by Led Zeppelin. But before we do that, we have our fearless beer review, we have our songs of the week. Our album of the week. And then we're going to round out the show with a lot of new music and other happenings in the music world. But if you want to skip around, there is there are timestamps in the description below. And go rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Go follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. Send us an email, asinineradio at gmail.com. Go give us five stars on iTunes because that really helps. So thank you for doing that if you decide to go thank do that. Thank you very much. What did you say? Thank you very much. Words are like bullets. Words are why. like bullets. That's still one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's good. So good. All right, let's just get right into our uh, fearless beer review. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so okay, I mean, what do, do we got? Do you want to explain the what we're we're going to be doing the next couple of weeks, or do you want me to nah, explain it? Can do it. Do it. Okay, well, we we finally got around to actually buying the same beer after a year of this. We uh, <laughs> this is our first time doing this, right? Yeah, this is the first. Well, no, I think we've done it before. Maybe like when you first moved to Arizona. I don't. But think, we never kept. Honestly, I don't think so. I think this is the first time we've done it. I'm gonna I go. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's the first time we've done it. So what okay. we're gonna do is, since BJ's is a restaurant but also a brewery, and they have. Good food and good beer. Everything's just yes. good at BJ's. Yeah, it's true. I don't, really, nothing bad. I don't feel like anything's like perfect or spectacular or amazing. There are some things that I think. I think their chili is really good. Yeah, their chili is is really really good. But every but everything at BJ's is at least good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's just a good place to go. So we're we're gonna try all of their beers. We're gonna do a tour of BJ's. It's gonna take about two months. Um, maybe at some point we could do two beers in an episode because that's a lot of BJ's beer that we're going to be talking about. But, uh, for now, for today's episode, we're just going to do one of their beers. Yes. Um, so what do we got, Jeff? What did, what did we pick up? Well, you picked the first beer. I did. And Tyler picked up Jeremiah Red, which is their Irish style ale. And mm-hmm. that will be our first beer that we're going to try. Yep. So we bought six pack cans of this. Uh, which is going to kind of suck because once we get to the stouts, I'm going to have to buy a six-pack of it or even a growler, so that's going to kind of blow. But uh, whatever. Michael drink this if you don't want them. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we can go half-seas on a growler or something. But, uh, yeah, this Jeremiah Red is uh, 7.3 ABV. It's uh, brewed and canned by BJ's Brewhouse in Temple, Texas. And uh, they've been brewing since 1996 for all you uh, craft brew lovers out there. It's got the independent label on it. It does. I'm surprised. That I 
I'm surprised it has that. Well, they're independent. They're, uh, they're a craft brewery. That's true. They are. It's kind of cool that they can it. They can their beers now. But, so, yeah, so that's cool. I don't know what I was going to say. I don't know either, but, um, yeah. I'm kind of all over the place. We're all so. over the place, so. All right, you ready to open these? Yeah, let's, uh, let's dig in. And Jeff actually has a glass today. Yeah, I do. Can you believe that? It's a shouty glass, but it's a glass. Shouty? Shouty. Oh. Oof, this is, not, this, is, this is dark. All right. You ready for this one? Oh, it smells crisp. It smells what? Crisp. Crisp. All right. All right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Tyler's got a Matthew McConaughey. Oh uh, man, I don't know why. I I do. I I can't stop saying that that way. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Here we go. Kisses. Okay. Yep. That um. That tastes like what I remember. Yeah, that is solid. Super super malty. But not syrupy at all. That that's the problem with with these kind of ales. I feel is that uh, it just they get super syrupy and it it gets kind of sweet and it leaves a bad aftertaste. But this no, this is not a bad aftertaste at all. So an interesting fact that I read about this is um, there is a a small kind of hint of a cherry flavor mm-hmm. in this beer, but there's actually no cherry or any kind of cherry added to it whatsoever it's just the the certain malts they use there's five different specialty malts they use when those blend together it actually kind of imparts a distinctive cherry note to this beer hmm. yeah but there I are no cherries in this beer cherry. i mean they're I, you're really adamant about that aren't you i don't really taste the cherry but actually if you kind of like breathe through your nose at the end of it you can kind of taste like the, like a like a cherry note to it or a cherry flavor. Yeah, I I can see that. I could taste that a little bit. But it also has this slight chocolate taste, but not enough to turn me away from it. It's pretty. It's a pretty damn solid beer. Pretty syrupy. A little. A little. Um. I'm not. Do you think in, it's syrupy? I'm not into this style anymore. I I I don't really like these at all. I thought you've always liked red ales. I used to. I used to a lot, but. I'm. I don't know. But like, I'm a. I'm a. I'm a stout boy now. You're a stouter. I'm a stouter. Stoutman. I'm a stoutman. <sighs> all, right, all right. All right. All right. What are we gonna right. rate this one? <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it a solid two. Solid two. Yeah. I'm all not, right. No higher. No. Ah uh, man. When it's when it's really cold. When this beer is really cold, like mine is right now, it's pretty damn tasty, and it's surprisingly refreshing so i'm gonna give this one a 2.75 whoa that's so high yeah, it's high but it's fucking good i like red ales a lot and a lot of places don't brew them um but damn man this is a it's a damn fine beer holy moly free holy this is one awards too this beer is one awards so i don't know what awards but they have won them so there's that yeah, it won. But uh, also, awards don't really mean a lot. It won the bronze we, medal for English style old ale in the 2018 North American Beer Awards. There you go. And it won the bronze medal for other strong beer 
from the 2018 Can Can Awards. Can Can. Mm-hmm. I've never even heard of Can Can. Can you do the Can Can like another man man or something? I, I Can Can. Can Can. Can you do the Can Can with another can, man can, man? Can. Oh, whatever. I don't even know. What What are we going to do? What, um, do you want to move on? you want to talk about beer more? I mean, whatever. I This beer's all right. I mean, it's, it's, it's making me hungry for BJ's is what it's doing. I had BJ's last night. What'd you get? And Well, I got a Caesar salad, and then I got the chicken nachos. Okay. Uh, I recently discovered the, their chicken nachos, and fuck, man, they're delicious. And they're huge. So that's pretty much all I ate, and then had a couple beers. Nice. But, I mean, their pizza's solid, too. But normally, what I normally get is their sourdough, the sourdough bowl with chili inside. So good. Dude, I've, I've always wanted to take that that plunge but I can't. I I can't go to a pizza place and not order pizza. I mean, you can. You just no. I can't. It's impossible. They're it's a um, fact. Their their club sandwiches are really good too. By the way, I recommend the club sandwich again. Like I just, I have to order that. There's something about it. I just ha- I have well, no self control. You can order a pizza, eat half of it, or eat like a slice. Well, that's not going to happen. And then, and then have the bowl. And then just take the rest of the pizza home. Rule number two. Mm-hmm. When I do order my pizza, I don't take pizza home. I just eat it all. What do you mean you don't take it home? That's bullshit. No, I don't take it home. I eat it all. That's stupid. Even if I That's like stupid. I'm already full, I'll still eat I'll just keep it. Why don't eating. why don't you get it to go? And Rule that way... number three. <laughs> <laughs> you have dumb rules. They're dumb. These are the just rules dumb. I live by. All the right. ones that bind me. Bind me. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that Joe Biden me. Oh God, that man, he's stupid. Oh. But what? Why'd you say ooh? That's we're getting political. Yeah, that's our former vice president you're talking about. Nah, he's stupid. Democrats are dumb. Oh. Oh. Well, there They're we all go. dumb. We just lost at least two listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Sanders is dumb. He's dumb. Oh, there now he's for sure gone. <laughs> Bye, Justin. Oh, name oh. I was on a roll. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Whew. Okay, let's move on. We we got we got a long episode ahead of us. We do. Uh, so let's just get into our songs of the week. I I have two picks. Jeff has one, so I figure we might as well start with mine. Dead. Uh, because it's not really related. Dead. Well, none of them are really related for that no. matter. But uh, I I went with uh this guy named Pogo. I think we I might have talked about him early early on on the podcast like on one of the lost episodes but what he does a lot is he'll take like bits from movies or TV shows and use and like sample dialogue from that stuff and put it and make a song around it uh like he fit, he kind of popular he has a, a couple popular ones um did a Harry Potter one called Alohomora and uh I think his most popular one is the Alice in Wonderland one which I which I chose and it's called Alice so I'm just going to play a little bit of it because I think it's really cool and it's really calming. So here it is, Alice by Pogo.
was uh, that was Alice by Pogo. Pogo. Uh, I think it's I think it's really good, and I like his music a lot. It's it's really really chill music. Uh, it's it's cool. What do you I, what are your feelings on it? Mm, I liked it. I thought it was good. I listened to the whole Al- Alice album. Oh, did you really? Album. Yeah, it was really album. good. I liked it a lot. It reminded me kind of um, in the style of, of like Ratatat that I that I kind of like and enjoy. But this was definitely more mellow. Yeah, absolutely. Like I feel like he doesn't like experiment as much as say Ratatat does. But if he only uses, because I was reading too. I mean, I've like briefly read about this artist, but they only, he only uses like super small clips, like five second yeah. clips or less, and just loops that. Which he loops is, them and then makes them melodic, which I think is really interesting. Which is even more experimental and weird and difficult than kind of what Ratatat does. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, if you can make like a whole song out of just five second clips, but make it just sound so seamlessly like he does, then that's pretty that's pretty legit. Yeah, I guess you're right. I stand corrected. It's good though. I really enjoyed it. I had a good yeah, did time. You, did you listen to the Harry Potter one too? Alohomora? No. Oh, uh, it's it's pretty goofy, but it's fun, and it has like it has moments from the the first movie that you quote. I think. You know, like. I don't even know. You, you you quote stupid lines from Harry Potter, and you don't even like Harry Potter. That's true. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's good. It's good times. Good times. Bad times. But anyway, let's get into uh, to your pick, because it's exciting stuff. Is it? Yeah, so what'd you get? What would you bring to the table? Um, well, I brought Jeremiah Red, but... Oh, well, yeah, that's true. My pick, um, I picked this song called Bella Chow. Uh-huh. So where 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 how did this come about? So I was watching this show on Netflix called Money Heist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen like the preview for it at all. Or what? I don't know. Is something going on with that's you? Jeremiah, that's, that's, that's that's Jeremiah Red for you. <laughs> that's what he'll do to you. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen like the preview or the thumbnail of Money Heist, but it's about a bunch of people that are good at what they do specific in specific ways, and they rob a bank. Okay. But it's a Spanish movie or a Spanish TV show, and then the the dubbing is actually like one of those professional dubbing where it's actually pretty good, decent. Not like a kung fu movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> but the show is actually pretty damn good, and um, I really Wait, enjoyed it's it. A show, not a movie. No, it's a show. It's three parts. The first two parts are one heist, and the second part is kind of something different. And the fourth part should be coming out soon. Hmm. It's on Netflix. Check it out. It sounds um, interesting for sure, and if the song is played in it, it makes n- it even cooler. Not this specific version of the song, but this this uh, this show plays a lot of kind of like Spanish and like European music. Actually, mm-hmm. all of it is. So, like, you're not going to hear American or Western music in the show. So, I've heard like a lot of cool songs, and one of the songs I heard was this Bella Chow song, but it was sung by kind of like a man, like with a deep voice, just kind of acapella type of thing. Yeah. But I was still like, dude, that's a cool fucking song. And so I looked it up and it's a very popular song. And so naturally I was like, well, there's probably a fuck ton of covers of this song. Let me find the one that's closest to ska <laughs> or punk that I could possibly find. <laughs> and so this was the one that wow, I found. Wow, this, this has been quite a journey for you. Of course. <laughs> of course, my horse. So this isn't even the original version of it. Okay. No. I mean, the I mean, original it's, it's version. It's great. So, like, the song itself is is a it's like a 
I don't know how you would say, like, like a resistance song. It dates back like far back in like the 19th century where these paddy field workers that were women would sing the song in protest to their horrible working conditions. And later on during World War II, by like the Italian resistance, they would also sing the song in resistance against like Nazi Germany. So for like two or three years, it became popular again. So it's like definitely like an anthem of, of anti-fascists. So it's a really cool mm-hmm. fucking story. And it just means, like, Bella Chow just means beautiful goodbye. And so it's really, it, I don't know, it's really simple. It's a really cool s- tune. And it's been sung throughout the decades by various artists. And like I said, I, I, I searched for the one that's like ska or pop punk or punk or whatever. So you found, I found it, it, too. I did. I listened to a lot of versions, Solid. too. All right. Well, I'm going to play, uh, I'll play this version of uh, Bella Chow by uh, Talco. Here it is. Yeah, so that's a pretty fucking dope song, if I do say so myself. Hey, I agree with you. I think it's rad. I love the trumpet in it. The trumpet sounds so good. You probably like... It's so loud. You, I mean, you probably like all the other versions, too. I mean, Stevie Oki also did a version that I saw that was Aww. very... It was very trancy. I kind of I dug it, too. Really? Because Stevie Oki's like one of the most underwhelming artists out there. And he, I don't think he does a lot of like tr- straight trance type music, but the song that he did with this was pretty pretty trancy that's weird interesting i'm surprised he even did it like he would even know about it yes i I think that's super weird too these guys are cool too they're from they're from italy they're from margera margera margarita italy (laughs) 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 what did they say in glorious bastards when he asked him his name ever oh what was it he said (laughs) and then they they do the hand thing with the fingers i I was doing it right now (laughs) Bongiorno. He's a Bongiorno. And all he does is keep asking <laughs> to say his name, but like over and over and over. <laughs> That's good stuff. But yeah, oh, this the movie's so good. This band's from, from Italy, and they uh, they actually wrote a song called St. Pauli, which I guess is a German football team that kind of go back and forth to being re- relegated in the Bundesliga. And that okay. they play that song at the stadium sometimes. Oh, that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, so that's fun, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's a good. That's a good song. It's good, good stuff. Song. Good stuff. 
good picks, good stuff. Good times. Now we can get into my uh, my pick, my final pick. Uh, kind of, it's a little bit different from what I would normally listen to, but I heard it on a podcast that Jeff and I listened to, or at least I think Jeff still listens, but the Punk News uh, podcast. And uh, I forgot who brought this song onto the pod, but uh, I think it was probably John Gentile. It seems like his kind of thing. But uh, yeah, this band is called The Coat Hangers, and the song is called Squeaky Tiki. And it's like, it's so much fun. It's it's kind of goofy punk, but it's cool, right? I don't know. No, this song was terrible. Really? You didn't like Fucking it at all? I hated it. <laughs> oh, listen to it, listened it. to it one time. Didn't even like like look it up. Didn't look into <laughs> other songs. Did nothing. Awful. I hated this shit. I liked it a lot. So here it is. Squeaky Tiki by The Coat Hangers. I don't want this shit. It's just a That's it. That's the coat hangers. That's Squeaky the coat tiki. Hangers. <laughs> it's so, it's so dumb. But I don't know. It, it. I like it a lot. It's very snotty too, and but I love that bass line and it just kind of, kind of drives along. It's so good. I think it's a cool, cool song. And the squeaky toy is just like this weird kooky. Sounds like a duck, like a rubber ducky. It did. <laughs> it was so or cool. Like a I chicken or it. something. I'm surprised you didn't like it because you kind of like weird, goofy things like that. But I know I I thought I don't know, man. As soon as I heard it, at, at first it reminded me of uh, "Broken Face" by the Pixies, that the okay. intro they do. Yeah, and then after that, it's just um, I don't know, man. Those those vo- those Vox just were too irritating for me. Too snotty for you. Just too. It's like, yeah, okay, relax, everybody, calm down. <laughs> Trying a little too hard there. Nah, I liked it, man. I, I thought it was good. That was a good song. <coughs> I didn't listen to the rest of the album, but that was maybe, I enjoyed that one. That was that was maybe one of the worst songs you've, you've picked in a while. <laughs> <laughs> can you name Can you name another stinker I've I've thrown in there? No, I don't think. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I don't I don't have stinkers. I don't I don't listen to stinker songs. Well, you only you, I mean you pick generally the same type of songs but no i don't yeah, I th- my two picks were wildly different from one another yeah surprising this is like the first time you've ever picked something that wasn't in like the heavier rock realm that's not true i usually i usually try to pick something that relates to the band that we're doing for the album of the week even though neither of these bands have anything to do with led zeppelin but still generally i do that that was a good song though 
I was I was waiting for you to pick like them crooked vultures or something. I was gonna do that. I, I really was gonna, gonna do, do that. I was really gonna do it, and then I I Pogo came up randomly on my my Spotify, and then I uh, <clears throat> that's that's how I got. It's into too that, easy. It's too easy. But I guess you know me too well. That's mm-hmm. what I try to do with the pod. You know, I try to relate the songs of the week to the album of the week. Usually, it's a good idea. It's just with Zeppelin, it's like they've been around for so long. It's not yeah. Like you don't need to look far. True, but and also them cricket vultures—they're they're pretty good. I, I actually did listen to that album this week, the one album that they have. It's pretty solid, and it's a great, great members in the band too. But yeah. whatever, but whatever. Yeah. So um, is that is that is that it there? Are we? You got anything else to say? Are we we all good? Are we ready to move on? Mm. All right, now that, we, now that we're done with our songs of the week, let's get right into our album of the week. And this week, this time around, we are doing the Led Zeppelin album, Led Zeppelin 2. Led Zeppelin formed in London, England in 1968 by Jimmy Page on guitars, Robert Plant on vocals, John Paul Jones on bass, and John Bonham on drums. They have put out eight albums, four live albums, and have sold over, well over 300 million copies worldwide. The album we're doing today is Led Zeppelin 2. It's the band's second album, obviously, and it was released October 22nd, 1969. It features all of the members mentioned above, and has sold well over 15 million copies worldwide. Mm. All right, so what are your initial thoughts on Led Zeppelin 2? Bangers, stinkers, what do we got? Um, so we had done this album in our early days, in our infancy of the pod. Yes. And back then, I think this is when we were just, we had like really shitty recording, right? Yeah, we, this, these were, this was a part of the Lost episodes when we only had one mic. And we put it in between us and we talked. See, I, I, I don't even remember those days. It's been so long. There was that snowball mic. You don't remember that snowball oh, mic? Oh, yeah, the one that's, that, that Sohil let us borrow. Yeah, because <laughs> he wouldn't let us borrow the, the nice mics. Oh! So. Yo! That's right. We sat like facing each other, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, looked in, we looked into each other's eyes the entire time. That's funny. Yeah, so this was part of our, our Lost episode era. And... Um, 
I really pressed for this specific album because I think this is their best album. I think it has all of their best uh, parts to it. Okay. But I can't I can't even tell you like the first time I've ever heard Led Zeppelin. I just I don't know. But one of the most iconic songs for me is a song I don't know how you specifically say it, but I just call it Dire Maker. Yeah, I I think that's Is that safe? How you'd pronounce it or Deer Maker? Deer Maker. I don't know. Dire Maker. That song specifically it's not my favorite song. It's a great song, but the first time we ever went to Taboo, the strip club. Oh, my God. <laughs> we walked in. And, like, this was back when we were kind of just, you know, we are still acting, like, froggy. And I think we were probably, like, 18, maybe 19. Because that's, that's an 18 club, right? Yeah. Or at the time it was. I don't know if it still is. But it was 18 club at the time. We walked in. And we were still kind of giggly and stuff like that. And I remember they were playing the song. I was like, oh, tight. They're playing, like, good music. And the first song they played that we heard as I walked in was like Dire Maker and forever in my mind, I don't I just I can't get it out. That is associated with that song and kinda of Led Zeppelin overall. But I think it fits. I think it fits like the persona of the band. Yeah, but with the debauchery and all that crap, but, but that, I mean that's but I mean, my, obviously that's my only. you heard Led Zeppelin prior to going to a strip club when you were eighteen. For sure. I mean, there's okay. been countless times that I've heard Led Zeppelin. I mean, everybody heard at least Cashmere, right? When Godzilla came out. That and Stairway to Heaven. I think Everyone's Stairway to Heaven Stairway was to probably Heaven. like a, one of the latter ver- or songs that I heard. Because I, mean, I know I've heard like Rock and Roll and Black Dog way before that. No, I remember hearing, I think Stairway to Heaven was probably the first one I heard. I was probably like six. And yeah, I was really young because my mom, my, my mom plays the flute. And she knew she would play that song. I remember she would play the flute part to Stairway to Heaven, which was cool. But I don't know. My mom likes Liz Zeppelin a lot. So I kind of I listened to them growing up so much. But pretty much just like their greatest hits, though. Not like particular albums. That's like all of their songs, though. This is one of those bands where almost all of their songs could be like a greatest hit. Yeah. It's seriously. But uh, so, I mean, is it safe to say that? There are no stinkers on this record. Oh, for sure. There are no stinkers and there are no fillers on this on this record. Every single oh. song on this album is a banger. Woo. So that's a spoilers. bold claim. That's spoilers. a bold claim, buddy. I like spoilers. What? What do you got? It's th- I'm gonna give this album a perfect three. I gave it oh my perfect God. three before Why would you spoil and it's it? a perfect three now. You asked what you asked me. <laughs> you didn't have to say it. Son of a bitch. All right. So what what are your what are your biggest bangers on this? So my oh man, like all of them, but my I guess my two favorite songs because there's only nine songs. Let's do let's do three. I'll I'll do fuck. I should just rank top them, three. Huh? Okay, yeah. I, I, I guess my top three. Um, my new top three is now Ramble On. It used to be a whole lot of love. I feel like forever that was just, I think that was really? like my favorite Led Zeppelin song ever. Wow. Okay. And then it transitioned into like Over the Hills. And mm-hmm. then now it's definitely Ramble On. But huh. I'm going to go ahead with Ramble On and then Heartbreaker. Okay. And the next one's a toss up. Because we had talked about it, I'm just going to I'm going to do my third one as Lemon Song. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> What I like to hear, but I mean that's just like twisting my arm. I have to pick three of them out of the nine because I to. don't want to. 
But you have to. And like Lemon Song's not any worse than the Heartbreaker Ramble on. It's just if I had to pick three, those are the three I would pick. Okay, fair enough. All right, for me, I mean, yeah, no stinkers, uh, no fillers either, but Bangers, my favorite Led Zeppelin song is on this album. So the number one spot goes to the Lemon song. I, it's the be- their best song ever. Uh, Followed close behind with uh, Over the Hills and Far Away, which is their second best, but whatever. Uh, but on this record, number two is probably going to have to be Living, Loving, Made. <laughs> I like that song a lot. So do I. Uh, and then third, third, uh, uh, probably Ramble On. Ramble On is number three for me on this record. It's fucking great songs. It, it's so hard because I do want to throw a whole lot of love on there. It's just like, God damn, that song is so overplayed. But it's still really good and it's still really fun to try to play the air drums too. Anyway, uh, should we play another song? Should we get more into "Whole Lot of Love" since we already played it? Yeah, let's 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 dive into into "Whole Lot of Love." Okay, "Whole Lot of Love." So I'm assuming you have some notes for that. Yeah, I got a couple notes. Okay, so let's start with you. Um, we'll just—I mean, taking it from the top here, "Whole Lot of Love." Uh, it was parts of it were taken from a Muddy Waters song that was covering a Willie Dixon song, mm-hmm. and I actually listened to the Muddy Waters version. How was and that? The, it was a cool song, but you can totally tell where they drew, quote unquote, inspiration from, like during the verses and kind of like the pacing of the vocals is absolutely where they, they took it from. And I also read something, too, that Robert Plant basically said that he straight up nicked the vocal parts. <laughs> and his reason behind it was, hey, we're only going to get caught if we're successful. That's a good point. Is that, is that like, and then that made me think, like, is that a good idea? Was that a bad idea? Cause <laughs> I don't know. Like a lot of Led Zeppelin, they've been tied up in so many lawsuits over the years and they paid out mostly to this guy, Willie Dixon. They paid out so much money to him. Mm-hmm. But I think over the course of like their career, it's probably pennies on the dollar. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. And then not only that, but. Then, because they've taken so much inspiration from the, this particular from Willie Dixon, it's like kind of them paying it back. You know, it's because they've been as successful as they are. This is them just saying thank you. You know, sorry for taking it, but or inspiring us so much that we kind of ripped you off. But here's a shit ton of money <laughs> and and our respect. <laughs> but that's like what the, it's worth. That's a thought. That's a thought that I had at first, but then I kind of got more into it and. They kept doing it, like the from the first album to like their third or fourth. They mm-hmm. can continue to to do it until then. Then finally, they started giving credit. But I don't know, man. That's pretty shady. It is, but then also think of, I mean, the context of it all. Uh, the first four records were released within like four years of one another. That's true. So it's like, I don't know. It's not. It's not like they had a lot of time to just kind of sit down and think about it. And I think all the lawsuits came kind of after the fact anyway. So it wasn't like while they were like, it wasn't like right when the songs came out, you know, cause I mean information back then in the sixties and seventies shit traveled a lot slower than it does now. So it's like, you don't have a, a shit ton of people bitching and complaining about it. Like we do, we have now on the internet, you know, only, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, it's, no, it was a very true. different time. It was point. a very, very different time. 
because everybody nowadays is so super ultra sensitive and so anything that could slightly offend somebody it's going to be blown out of proportion you know that's well, just the way it is that's the world we live in now if you rip off a song people will know about it instantaneously they'll post about it it'll trend and within a day you'll realize that you're fucked with yeah. these guys when they rip off a song by the time the album comes out by the time somebody even recognizes, hey, I think this kind of sounds like something else, digs into it, realizes that it's the same, files a lawsuit, the lawsuit goes to court, they get served. I mean, we're talking like a year here. That could be, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It could be at least a year. I mean, they probably, the the initial suit, they probably didn't even know that they were being sued for at least six months because they were constantly on the road. They, I mean, how could they be served? Yeah, They were on true. the road consistently. They had well, no... They had the manager. And, I mean, sure, I'm they sure did, he has like but a I mean, mailing address. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when even the manager's on the road, though, you know? Or, That's the manager's you know, responsibility. That's why he gets paid yeah. the big bucks. But also the manager probably kind of throws it under the rug, too, a little bit. Because, you know, he needs to make money. And if the band is sidetracked or, or you know, whatever, because of a lawsuit, he doesn't make as much money. So the, the manager could have, like, you know, fucked with it, too. But That's true. Regardless. I think in the original pressings, it didn't have Dixon as a songwriter, as, as songwriting credits. And it wasn't until years after they got sued and they started paying out royalties, then they added Dixon as credited songwriter for the song. Yeah, but then also, I mean, think of it, is Willie, is Willie Dixon a uh, black guy? Yeah, he's one of, the, okay, um, so like one of the biggest guys for like the Chicago's era blues. Okay, so I mean, that that's another thing too. Look at, look at the times. I mean, a lot of white, white musicians were ripping off black people. Like, I mean, Elvis Presley was the biggest culprit of that, of those people, you know, and Rolling Stones had been doing it for years prior to Zeppelin. So it's like, it was kind of like a thing that happened and nobody really cared because, you know, the civil rights movement had, hadn't even happened yet at this point. That's it was true. still bubbling under the surface. So, I mean, at this point they just didn't even give a fuck. And also copyright, copyright, claims and stuff back in the 60s were wildly different than they were even 20 years ago you know it's just it was the 60s things were, man it was, things were it so was a loose. very different time it was a yeah exactly it was a very different time so <laughs> they just thought you know yeah we're, we're ripping this guy off or we're inspired so much by this guy but they they probably didn't even understand copyright like the what copyright and trademarks were it was just that quote that plant gave where he said yeah we nicked it but I we thought we were only going to get caught if we were popular, so it was like the if we're popular, we'll have to pay out royalties. But at least now we're making a bunch of money; we're not going to care. But if we don't ever get caught, then we don't have to worry about it. And that's just kind of like a it's kind of a douche move. It is, but they're also young and completely fucked Douchey. up too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that, I mean, that's that was just like on the t- off the top of my head, real quick, right here, leading okay. into it. All right. I also All read right. that this was the last song that the OG four piece ever played live. Yeah, I read that too. That's for Bonham's sweet. death. Yeah. Sweet. Right? And so good. I, I read too that Whole Lot of Love was they played that at every from the moment they they created the song and the front for the first time they played it, they played it every single show. Every single show. Every single show. And it was the last song they ever played together as with John Bonham. That's crazy to think about. So insane. It's kind of like, it's kind of eerie, you know, like when you listen yeah. to it. Because I've always thought, like like in my head, Jimmy Page has always been, I feel like we're on the same page here, at least in the top three. But Jimmy Page has always been, I thought, or I think, the greatest guitarist ever. 
like hands down. It's just easy. He can do a little bit of everything, and he can do it all good, if not yes. great. And then I've always thought Bonham was for sure like top three, but I've leaned more for like the greatest just because I don't know a lot of drummers except for the greatest ones. Mm-hmm. And then like the more I listen to Bonham in this record and the more – this was another one of those bands too that kind of – they didn't get shit on when they first came out, but they didn't get a whole lot of love when they first Oof. came out. It wasn't until years later, especially fuckers like Rolling Stone were like, oh, my initial review, I said this, but now I think <laughs> – see, like all those fuck faces, that's what they do, right? And so when the bandwagon starts to roll, we don't do that, people realize that, hey, Led Zeppelin are pretty fucking good. And then when you really listen to like Bonham, like Bonham, besides like one song, Bonham leads this band. And he mm-hmm. leads it in a way where it's soft and he'll play just simple with no like symbols or anything and just kind of like pat the, the the toms but then he'll bring in a little roll which will kick in and then just completely annihilate you with music and it's just it's such just like fucking lead in and like you diving into a pool that you've never even touched before and it's almost like bottom doesn't even know like what the fuck he's doing half the time <laughs> like he has no now idea he, where he's going what he's doing if anyone will even follow him but they always do they always do i think he he's like one of the masters of dynamics when it comes to drumming, I mean, he know and and songwriting in general. That his di- his the dynamics in the songwriting that he he provides to the band is just is top notch. It's it's what he brings is just so much. I don't know. I I guess emotion or like vibe to it, and it's so under underrated. I feel even though he's considered like one of the greatest drummers of all time, I still think it's kind of underrated. I do too. Because you get guys like Clapton. Like Clapton has, has said in the past that Bonham is good, but mm-hmm. he's not great. He's, he wasn't like the greatest. Yeah. Because Clapton, or other people would say that he has really no what, like swing, as he called it. He has he, no yeah, swing. And he's more of like a, like if you listen if you listen to somebody like, like Bonham compared to, say, like Ginger Baker of Cream or uh, Keith Moon of The Who, like they they have swing they have like jazz influence, but John Bonham is like a fucking animal. Like he he he's he has like a primitive way of playing. He's not super super technical at all, but he he just hits the drums. It's like Dave Grohl. Like Dave Grohl, he's not a super technical drummer, but he writes really good beats, and he knows he knows how to feel out a song, and he knows what to play at the right moments. He doesn't overplay. He's not a jazz player, and that's and John Bonham's the same way. Like, that's just how it is. It's just a different style of playing. That's just my thing. I I agree. I but I still, I don't know, man. I still think Bonham's got that swing to it. I still think. And then like you you mentioned that like he being an animal. I think Animal the Muppet, who was based off of Bonham, like one of the but like his main person that he's based off. Of, yeah, was Bonham. Yeah, because Bonham. I think it was like was Bonham an and, and Keith Moon. Bonham yeah. and Keith Moon were like, that's what Animal, the Muppet Animal was based off of. But, I mean, he, man, he's a fucking killer. He was a killer drummer, and it's a shame. But it also kind of makes you think, would they have continued to be as legendary if he hadn't died? No, like I Jimmy don't. Hen- like, like Jimi Hendrix or Nirvana or anything like that? I don't think so, because the more I kind of read into uh, JPJ, mm-hmm. John Paul Jones, <laughs> Or as I found out, I never knew his actual name was John Baldwin. 
I didn't know that. Either. It's a fucking boring ass name. <laughs> but as as I read more into JPJ and just kind of how he was uh, kind of the quietest member of the band, mm-hmm. and throughout the years he kind of progressively felt less and less interested because he kind of just wanted to just chill and live his life with his family. I feel at some point there would have been like that straw that broke the camel's back where he where he was like, you know what, dude, I'm kind of done with this. And then that kind of would have broken everything up. So I think you really think John Paul Jones would have broken up the band. I don't think so, but I don't think he ever would have left them because they're they're all homies. Like they're all they're all besties. They're all brothers. They're all one. But I think his his interests would have would have weaned off to the point where their music would have suffered. And in doing so, us as critics would have been like, why don't you guys just call it and hang up the hats, call it. So I think Bonham, even though it's sad to say, kind of died at the right time where after that, I feel they would not have made as great a music. Because even like their last couple albums, like what was it, the Presence or In Through the Outdoor. Or it was uh, Physical Graffiti and, oh no, it was In Through the Door, right? Yeah. And the Presence was their last one. Because those weren't, comparatively, those weren't like that great. Yeah. And those ones had more writing from other people besides basically just Jimmy Page. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to them now, they're maybe like I can only recall like "Fool in the Rain" from "In Through the Outdoor," and maybe a couple other tracks. But other, they're not iconic super albums like one through four were, or even "Houses of the Holy." And so I know I don't. I think that if Bottom had not died, they would have released more music for sure. But I think they were. I think they peaked and they stopped at the right time. Yeah, they were forced to. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine Zeppelin going on without Bonham. That would have been absolutely insane. It Which is been super mess. cool as to how they like stop playing. They're like, dude, he's done. Let's just be done. And that like goes all the way back to when Jimmy Page first started kind of playing music. And some of the stuff I read about him when he joined the Yardbirds, Boyds. When he joined Boyds. the Yardboids. Yardboids. <laughs> So, the, like, the first time he was offered to join the Yardbirds, he's like, nah, because something about, like, Clapton, Clapton was his homie back then, and he didn't want them to kick out Clapton for him, so he's like, nah, I'm good. And then the second time they asked him to join the Yardbirds again, he's like, nah, but check out this dude, Jeff Beck. But the second time was because he was making a fuck ton of money being a session musician. Oh, yeah. And so it wasn't until, like, the third time that they're like, dude, join our fucking band, that's when he actually joined the Yardbirds and became a member. But that was even short-lived as well because, I mean, the Yardbirds essentially broke up after that. And But because they were still obligated to play, like, one more show, Paige was left by himself to have a bunch of musicians. And so he brought in Bonham Plant and uh, JPJ, JPJ to fill this one last show and called himself the New Yardbirds, which actually became Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin, yeah. Because they were originally going to... So what? So yeah, like what Jeff was saying, the original Yardbirds broke up, but they were obligated to play uh, several shows in Scandinavia. That's so we got, yeah, it was in Scandinavia. So yeah, like Jeff said, he got the the current members of Zeppelin to to be the Yardbirds, and then they were going to continue on as the Yardbirds. But I think it was it wasn't Jeff Beck; it was the other two guys. I can't remember right now, but they sent them a cease and desist saying you can no longer use the Yardbirds name. And then they said, okay, whatever, fine, fuck you. And then they created Led Zeppelin. Right, which, like, by a twist of fate, that was the greatest thing that's ever happened. But that's fucked up. Like, you all left this band with one last prior commitment that you couldn't fulfill because you're a dick. And then you (laughs) left it on me. And I'm not even an original member, speaking through Jimmy Page. Yeah. And then I have to come up with a bunch of other musicians 
to play your show that you signed for, and now I can't even fucking continue using the name. That's so fucked up. I I, I know, man. It's fucked so up. irritating. But again, like by but it led to it led happened, to this. It, it led to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh let's get into uh let's get into another song unless you got anything else to say about a whole lot of love. Um yeah, well, a couple more things I do have to say. I, I, okay. The actual music part of whole lot of love okay. we can get into because since we fucked yeah. around with it. Cuz I I had some more things to say about it too, but I was going to bring it back around when we talked about more of the the production of the record, but Okay, I mean we could do that if you if you want to just move on for for a minute. I mean, unless unless it's something cuz I was going to bring cuz we have to talk about the production and and how this record was made, and I feel like this song is is pivotal to the making of the record. So I was gonna kind of bring it back around toward the end. Well, this but is I guess we could just do it right now then. I mean, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Well, fuck it. Let's just get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. What do you got? What else you got? I I think it's 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 magnificent that this entire song is based around this pretty simple like bluesy kind of rock riff. That it's got going on, and then it just transitions transitions into this kind of just jazz rock session that they got. But overall, it just it flows so well, and I think that's because of Bonham. That I guess I, it's almost like a first solo, but it kicks off with just Bonham with the hi hat, with the mm-hmm. cymbal kind of going the, the ch- 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 and then it brings in with the ambient noise, which kind of builds like this weird tension, and all like the weird Oz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it gets into this like weird like crescendo and just kind of drops into Jimmy Page like all everything just drops into Page's lap and he has that fucking just that clean slightly distorted guitar tone into yeah. into that first solo it's absolutely perfect it absolutely it's, perfect it's great and i mean and that that brings into que- into the entire equation how this record was made because it was this entire record was produced by Jimmy Page uh, and then uh, what fucking Kramer? What's it? Robert Kramer? I think so. What is his fucking name? Somebody Kramer. Kramer Kramer. Oh my god. Cosmo Kramer. Homer. Eddie Kramer. Eddie, Eddie Kramer, Kramer uh, engineered this record and then co-mixed it with uh, Jimmy Page. So the story behind a whole lot of love is that part you're talking about, that whole bridge part with the solo and all that stuff. They kind of didn't know what they were doing uh, when they were mixing this album. So they were just kind of twisting and turning knobs during that bridge part just to kind of see what sounded cool and kind of how fucked up they can make it sound. And that's what that's why that, that whole middle part sounds as weird and fucked up as it does is because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And I love it. I love it so much. I think that's so cool. It is. It's, but. it's, it's cool because, like I said, we're kind of with Bonham. Like they, they didn't know where they were going. But when they ended up there, they thought that, hey, this is – this is what we were looking for. But they kind of didn't know what they were doing, even though, especially Paige and JPJ, like they were hardened, seasoned session musicians. Like JPJ especially has been on hundreds of tracks, even like three, four times as many as Jimmy Page has over yeah. the years. And like it's, it's incredible that even then, they're still pushing themselves to a limit that they didn't even know existed. It's true. And also it, it kind of... It kind of goes along with the rest of this record. I, from what I've read, Jimmy Page, uh, he was saying, because it took about six months to record this record, and their first record only took 30 hours to record. So, But this one took six months. But the reason why it took so long was because they were co- constantly touring, and every song was essentially recorded in a different studio all across the United States, some better than others. 
but uh so everything kind of had its own own thing and jimmy page said that he wasn't sure if they were even going to release this record because he didn't like it he thought that it was after hearing it so many times he thought it's not good it's it's just not good i don't want to release it but that was just because he was so saturated within the uh, everything the production the writing everything that he just burned himself out crazy but in the end it turns out to be one of their their biggest albums of all time or one of the biggest albums of all time yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's crazy to think about that but we'll get more into like the recording technique and because I, I think that that's that's pretty fascinating too and like how they worked in different studios and how they overcame certain restrictions and studios i think it's interesting it's good stuff I also like that Bonham starts his whole record off with just a drum fill. Yeah. <laughs> and then it goes into a whole lot of love. So good. That's true, right? <laughs> Dude, the guy is just, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh my God. So good. Oh my God. So good. So good. So good. So good. Fuck, what are, we t- what are we talking about? I, I mean, I, uh, we, could, we could go to another song. We could do, um, what, uh, let, let's get into Lemon Song. That's a big one. Oh, that's a good one. So Lemon Song, yeah. This is uh Essentially, a, a reworked cover. Uh, who is it by again? Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf. There it is. Yeah, it's a reworked cover. Um, this is my favorite Zeppelin song. I remember the first time I heard it, I was 18 years old. I got this record for my birthday. I got the CD, and I remember hearing that. I was just fucking blown away. How it, the, the transitioning from just like kind of the slow kind of jamming to like the fast you know uh what's like the, the punk rock like, part almost we were like frantic it's it's just yeah. like frantic and uh and i just I, I thought it was so cool it was very much in the vein of days and confused but better i felt much oh, better yeah. than days and confused this which i love for that sure song days are better than days and confused yeah but uh should i should i play a bit of it and then we'll get more into it yeah okay bring it up everything shut itself off all right, so here's a uh, here's Lemon Song by The Led Zeppelin. <laughs>
That's it, the Lemon Song by Led Zeppelin. Uh, unfortunately, with the the board I'm using to play the song, it didn't play one side of the uh, the actual track, so you didn't hear the lead guitar part. But there is a lead part that plays through that entire fast segment of the song, which is fucking killer. But anyway, go just go listen to the fucking song. It's That's great. I get the gist of it. Yeah. But yeah, just go listen to this album. Go listen to that fucking song. It's great. This was but the only. Good. This was the song that I, I I mentioned earlier that Bonham doesn't straight up like lead the song. It's it's kind of just more of like a group effort. Because when that mm-hmm. fast part kicks in, it's just like boom. It's in. It's into it. Like as soon as you realize it's happening, you're already like ten, fifteen seconds deep. Yeah, that's Done. true. And I kind of wonder is is the reasoning behind that because i know they recorded this song live uh they went straight into the studio and they all plugged all their instruments in. they they mic'd everything up and uh robert plant just stood in the middle of the room with a microphone in his hand and they just fucking busted out the song and that's what we got that's what we got i i think there are like no overdubs or very little overdubs in that song everything else was just straight live yeah it does it does have like a raw feel to it in the sense that, like you said, there are really no, there's not a whole ton of overdubs. I mean, and it does sound I, like it was in like one take. I feel like the 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 only overdub was the uh, the rhythm guitar because the, during the fast part you do have two guitars playing, and there's only right. one guitarist in the band. So I think live it was just him him soloing and him doing that lead part. But then he went they went back and he did the rhythm part separately. But other than that, that that this song was recorded live, so, which is super fucking cool. I love when bands do that because it just shows. I don't know. It just it makes the song so different and so much. It just makes them better. Like I, like the big example of that is Rage Against the Machine. Their Evil Empire record was all tracked live like that in a room. Yeah, it's so cool. It just shows like, they can I don't know why they can do it. Do that. Like on and off the stage, right? Like because anybody can record a song. At least if you have a tune, you can record a song and make it sound fantastic through processing and and mm-hmm. producing. But to actually record a song live, like then and there, it's very difficult. Very especially very difficult. a new song, you know, a song that they've only just been jamming on. It, it's I think it's so cool, and oh my, it's one of the oh. reasons why it's my one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite Zeppelin songs, or it is my favorite Zeppelin song. I, have you, are you still on your first Jeremiah here? No, I started my second. I'm halfway through my second. Okay, I, I, I haven't really eaten today, so I feel I feel like a little I feel a little ting. I, a little I, I do too. I do too. And this is a kind of a stronger beer too. Yeah. What was it? Seven percent. Seven point three. Seven point three percent. Yeah. So I, I feel a little ting here. So I might get a little might get a little slopey. <laughs> I got nothing to do today, so here we go. Slopey pussy. Slopey pussies. <laughs> One of my other favorite parts about this about this whole album is the underrated I feel like we do this a lot too with older bands like the underrated bass playing. Oh yeah, John Paul Jones, JPJ is dude, he's a fucking killer rhythm player and he's I mean I said it about John Bonham how he, I feel he's underrated but JPJ is the most underrated member of this band. For and sure. this song this song this song proves that. Dude, Paige has like these really solid lead licks, but JPJ is playing the same exact notes at the same time, mm-hmm. but on a bass guitar. 
and just as fast. They're and still the keeping the rhythm. Thing. It's so and cool. I know. I, I think, man, he's... But it's not just this song and not just the songs on this album. If you listen to everything they've ever done, he... Him and Bottom, him and Bonham, the way that they lock together, is is unmatched. Like their their whole chemistry was amazing, and that's I I mean, I've heard some people say it, and I and I kind of agree with them. But the strongest part of Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, is the rhythm section, and yeah. the songs might. And I've heard I've also heard people, some people say that Zeppelin would have been better if there were no guitars. Ooh. No, that's I, that's I have false. heard that, but I mean but Im- that's that's false. But but imagine imagine listening to a Zeppelin record with no guitars, that would be cool. I'd be more interested in listening to a Zeppelin record with no vocals. Well, I mean, you kind of already. I mean, there's a few songs on the deluxe <laughs> version of this that have no vocals, so you can actually go do that if you wanted to, but chose not to. That's fine. I chose not to, so that's fine. Um. What was I going to say? There's something else I was going to say. Oh, then later on, um, in like the three-minute mark, the bass is playing this like really funky kind of groove, and then it's just plant just kind of goofing and making weird noises and saying random shit. And it's it's like this weird beatnik kind of uh, vibe to it that I really thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really dig it. Man, dude, that is such a... I feel like this is the... They've never... This is the only song like like it for this band they've never really delved into kind of like that proggy because i think this song is kind of prog with the 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 tempo change and just all that stuff i mean they've they never really did that unless it was live and they were just jamming it was also cool to hear bonham use the bell on like the ride cymbal yeah when when he usually relies so heavily on like the rolls and the toms and then occasionally we'll hit like the hi hat, but to hear him hit that bell occasionally on the ride, it was really fucking cool. It was re- yeah. it was a really nice change of pace, especially from the first couple songs when you do hear him just kind of do non- nonstop rolls, which is totally cool because I love it. It's but cool it when nice. some some you know uh, drummers use it, but others not so good, like Tool or Fuck band I like that, Tool. where all they I- use are the toms. I also read, I didn't look into it, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw out a bunch of things that I did not look into that deeply, Oof. but I also read that some of these lyrics were like borrowed from artist after artist after artist and lead back to like Robert Johnson. Yeah. Like the, the squeeze my lemon part. Is that, that what it was? was? Yeah. It was uh, the, the, the squeeze my lemon. I can't remember what Robert Johnson's song it is off the top of my head. That sounds like a wiener joke, but. Uh, no, th- this whole, this entire song is about sex. This song and whole lot of love are just sex jams. That's all they are. I can't imagine Robert Johnson singing about or being so upfront about it. But I mean, it's 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 not like he's blatantly saying he's doing something. It's kind of hidden. By it him. says squeeze it's my lemon play. so the juice drips down my leg. <laughs> well, no, I think only the squeeze my lemon part oh. was was part of Robert Johnson, not the. Dripping down the leg, not that point. <laughs> All right, but it's still good, good stuff, and it's a fantastic song. And uh, I mean, we can get into some of the lyrics of not this song, but there's another song, or a couple other songs where I thought the lyrics were pretty interesting. Which Unless one? you want to talk talk more about this one, we can talk about the lyrics of Moby Dick. I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's cool. You're such an idiot. <laughs> 
could do that. Uh, let's see. I don't know. From what I read in the lyric, none of this, like none of the lyrics, really stood out to me as like, oh, that was cool. Oh, that was fun. Oh. No, there was one that that interested me. Hold on one second. I'm trying to remember what it was. I also heard a rumor oh. about Robert Plant. If you want to hear that real quick while you're looking, but you already found well, it. Well, I, I think the rumor might go along with m- the lyrics that I'm trying to talk about. Go for it. So, what is and what should not what what is and what should never be. The lyrics to that song supposedly is about. Robert Plant's love of his wife's sister. Um, and is that the rumor that you were talking about? No. My rumor's oh, okay. stupid. <laughs> but it's funny. Wait, mine's stupid or yours is stupid? Mine is stupid. Oh, okay. But uh so it was so this song and there's another Zeppelin song but I can't remember right now that are people a lot of people believe or he might have even admitted it in recent more recent years but yeah, he was really in love with uh with his wife's sister. And he, but it was like a forbidden love, you know. It can never happen. And what isn't what should never be is about that. And reading the lyrics, knowing knowing the context, and reading the lyrics, it's like, dude, this is so obvious. But it also could have just been it because it was implanted in my head. But there's only one forbidden love that Zeppelin has ever encountered, and that was with Jimmy Page and that 14 year old girl. Oh. oh, yeah, dude. Jimmy Page's like dated, and as far as we know just dated and maybe did other stuff but with a 14 year old girl when he was like in his early 20s oh i i know what you're talking about yeah Dude, that's the only forbidden love that should have been part of yeah. that one i mean i don't condone this and i don't i don't think it's right but you know with a lot of things that were happening in the 60s and 50s you know that stuff was acceptable people were getting married when they were 15 <sighs> you know it's just like my my grandma was married when she was 16 and she had three kids by the time she was nineteen. But this dude, this girl was fourteen. I know, but but think when about you're it, 14. like <laughs> that's. Do you think that song "14" by the Vandals is about Jimmy Page? Oh man, what if it is? I think it might be because they shit because because I think they've talked shit about Zeppelin or Jimmy Page or something. Oh my so it could God, it could be, be so rad. that could be about Jimmy Page. Holy is that a fuck. is that a diss track? Is that a punk diss track? I mean, it sounds. I mean, lyrically, it's pretty fucking awful, and it's pretty. <laughs> it's funny because it's so bad, but yeah, it could very well be a diss track. Wow, punk that's diss awesome. track. Good for them. Even better. Wow, I didn't even think. I didn't even make that connection. Mm-mm. But I mean, I mean, a lot of artists back then, a lot of just people in general. Jerry Lee Lewis married his cousin. That was like his cousin, fourteen or something, didn't he? I think she was fourteen as well. Yeah, maybe the song's about Jerry Lee Lewis. I don't know. Uh, and Jimmy Page. But and Jimmy Page. But honestly, fucking weirdo. That's just the way that it was. It was a different time, for better or worse. It was a different time. I just can't imagine like you're the biggest band in the world, right? And you go after a fourteen-year-old. You you could like have almost anybody like you could even have like married men if you really wanted to, <laughs> and you choose to date a fourteen year old girl. Like, what the fuck? Like he like Jimmy Page literally could just snap his fingers and there would be hundreds of men, women, animals, inanimate objects, like anything, and he goes after a fourteen year old girl. Non-binary. I don't know Fucking anything. Knucklehead, you want. dude. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. His fatal flaw. <laughs> All heroes have one. Well, we're talking about his music, not his personal life. That's true. Do you want to talk um, any more about the Lemon Song, or should we just 
Or we kind of well, we kind of touched already upon moved on to what is and what, what is and what should be. should never be. Well, we just talked about the lyrics. We didn't talk about anything else. Oh yeah. Well, let's let's get into it then. Do you want to talk more? Okay, we can talk more about it. No, but what is and what should never be? Not the lemon song. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I want to talk about it because I think the okay, bass talk about it. in this song I think is like the lowest and the heaviest on the whole album. I think it's it's so low and heavy. It just sounds like it's like farting and it's. It's it's gross, but I love it. <laughs> should I play a little bit of it, or? And this is also we... like the only song too where they have like solid harms. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They do. But yeah, if you want to play, play. If you don't want to play, don't play it. But no, no, of course I'll play it. So here is uh, what is, what is, and what should never be by Led Zeppelin. Take my hand, child, come with me. Zeppelin. You know, I like on those I like the the harms are good, but uh, you know, I like the I like the the quieter parts way more than the the loud and more bombastic parts. It's just better in this song just or better. just like overall. It's probably one of the in this song. No, in this song, oh. I think this is like one of the weaker songs on the record. Really, not saying it's a stinker or a filler. It's not one of the not Ooh. either one of those, but it's one of my least favorite on the record. See the solo in this song is is my favorite Led Zeppelin solo. Hmm. Okay, I think it's absolutely perfect. Okay. It's got like, like it's got echo. It's got reverb. We doing slide stuff. You he's hate like reverb over, though. He's overdubbing with like acoustic strumming, and then it goes into like a harder part of the solo. So it's almost like two different parts of the solo itself. Mm. Eh, I know, uh, but I th- I feel like I don't I don't know. I think it might be the transition between the the quieter and louder moments there's like no build-up it just kind of like happens but th- th- and that's what it's like, not it's, it's not so like a true about, diss but i mean that's what's that's what's that's why bottom is so important because the transitions always are accompanied by a slight drum roll in some aspect it's the, he always does it and especially in this song there's always like a drum roll and that gives us a listener a cue as to when to start banging our heads We'll start the head banging. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do bang my head during the song against a fucking wall. But um. for a band to be like, like the 
I don't know, like the the forerunners of of the heavy metal rock to start throwing harms in their songs with like acoustic solos and I don't know, man. Yeah, but also brave. they weren't they weren't there was no metal, there was no like hard rock prior to them like it so it wasn't unheard of for them to do something like that, you know? Yeah, it, it's just a little different style change. Yeah, especially yeah, coming so. off of like a whole lot of love, which was such a just like a fast paced like rock song, and then coming into like oh no, this comes after um, this yeah, comes it comes after a whole lot, lot of love. love, yeah, yeah, it's coming after that, which is such a fast paced like rock song, and then I don't know, man, the harm is just they they get me, even though they're so small, it's 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 all they need, it's like just to write them out. They're adding mm. one teaspoon of vanilla to something to make it taste perfect. <laughs> That's it. All right. Uh, let's get into, um, hmm. There's only nine songs and I, I feel like we should probably just get into all of them. Okay. Well, point. let's do that. Let's get into thank you then. So thank you. Uh, that one was, it was essentially a love song for Robert Plant's wife, which seems kind of curious because two songs prior to that, he was talking about how he supposedly was in love with, was supposedly in love with his wife's sister. But uh, thank you is about is about uh, Robert Plant. It was it was a a love song for Robert Plant. I think JPJ's wife as well, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I mean, it's it's a great song. I think it's fantastic. I mean, this is the first song. It's not that one of my was, favorites. But the lyrics were entirely written by Robert Plant too. Yeah, this and I think Ramble On or Thank You was the Thank You was the first song that he had not songwriting credit. Maybe it was songwriting credit. I think he had. I think Plant and Page had songwriting credits on almost all of them, except for Moby Dick. They did. For Plant. No, they did. But fuck, what am I trying to think of? Because I read something where he on the first Zeppelin record, Robert Plant contractually was not allowed to have songwriting credits uh, because due to some his prior contractual yeah, agreements to a different record label with CBS Records. Yeah, it was CBS Records, so he wasn't allowed to. So I think. I think Thank You might have been the first song written for this record, and so technically it was the first song he has songwriting credits with Zeppelin on. I think that might be it. I could be wrong, but pretty sure that's it. It's pretty sure that's it. We'll go with pretty that. Pretty sure that's it. But it's a good song. I mean, I, I do you want to play it? I don't really, I don't think we need to play it. Um, it's, not a, it's not a standout like many other songs on this record. Th- there are a couple of parts about it that I think are just we should probably mention. One, JPJ plays the organ in the song mm-hmm. and Paige yeah. plays a 12-string 12, 12-string 12 12, 12 guitar. 12. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, there's also kind of like a trick ending, like a false ending at the end and it just kind of bleeds out but then comes back in with this almost like this Beatles-esque wall of sound noise and then it immediately ends again. And I think that was kind of like the final bow final blow of this song which i thought was really cool yeah. but uh, other than that no this song is um i think it's a perfect song but <laughs> but it, i think in the in the context of the rest of the album it's just it's good just not as good as the others i mean again we're just we're i'm we're twisting our arms here trying to find the weakest mm-hmm. of the best because it's the best of the, the best of the, of the best, best sir with honors mm-hmm. so that's that's where we're at so the next two songs, uh, those being Heartbreaker and Living Loving Maid, she's just a woman. Uh, they were, lyrically, those go hand in hand from 
from what I've read and from what I looked at the lyrics, uh, it's essentially Heartbreaker is about from what, what I was what Robert Plant was saying in an interview at some point, he was saying that it was like one of his I think one of his first experiences with a hooker when he was 19 because he said it was his first kiss, but I'm assuming it was with a, a hooker or a prostitute. And um, so it was kind of like how she kind of broke his heart because he didn't really understand like it was just kind of like a you pay for thing. it you know it, yeah. yeah it was a one time thing and then living loving made is the second part of that to where they got they were a little bit older and it was about like a, a prostitute who just kept following them around and just kind of like bothering them and just wanting more from them so it's kind of like it's both sides of it the beginning and kind of like the end of it which i, I thought was kind of cool yeah. lyrically yeah that kind of it kind of flows into each other yeah. Kind of like an overall concept. I even read that some radio stations they'll play Heartbreaker and then Living Loving Made right after one another because they coincide with with each other. Also, Living but, Loving Made is really short. It's like two and a half minutes. Yeah, it's. A, I think it might be the shortest song on the record. Yeah, right? for sure. Two forty. Yeah, it is the shortest song. The, the next shortest is four fourteen. <laughs> so, so it's like half as short as the next song. Almost. Yeah. And that was Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker is 414, and then Living Loving Made is 239. It's weird because Jimmy Page doesn't like Living Loving Made, and as far as I could tell, they never performed the song live. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, you're you're totally right. Jimmy Page said it's his least favorite Zeppelin song, and they didn't, yeah, as a band, they never played it together, but when back in the early, mid-'90s, uh, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did, like, a solo tour together. And that's when they first played it. That's weird. Like that was the closest thing. I like it. I think it's a really cool song. I think it is too, and it's so fucking catchy. I think Jimmy Page doesn't like it for for a couple reasons. One is it's it's for sure like the most pop sounding song on the album. It has like a like a solid structure to it. There's not mm-hmm. a whole lot going on as far as like the creativity. It's just a straightforward kind of like pop song. Yeah. And I think that's maybe like one of the reasons why he doesn't like it. And the other reason I think is just it's just short. There's no time for him to show off. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with especially the pop part. Uh, it's it's a straight pop rock song. And it has all the, the elements of a catchy pop song. And I think that's what they were trying to get away from away from with when it came to like the Beatles and the Beach Boys and all the other sixties pop acts of the time. They wanted to do something different. More proggy, I guess you could say, because prog rock. This is kind of when, when that prog rock started to, to rise up with bands like King Crimson, Rush, uh, can't even think Genesis, with bands like those. Like they were trying to get on that that train, but do it in a more poppy way, I guess you could say. This song also reminds me, at least uh, the music part. The song reminds me a lot of, of the "Somebody to Love" by Jefferson Airplane. Especially oh, up yeah, up huh. until like the chorus, it sounds a lot like it. It's very similar. Okay, I could see which that. is also kind of cool because thrown back to like Robert Plant meeting Jimmy Page, I I saw that Jimmy, or Robert Plant saying Jefferson Airplane, somebody to love in front of Page, to make Page like be- make make him a believer in Plant and his abilities as a singer. Okay, that's so, I've never even heard of that. So that's kind of cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. I do find so it I'm hard to believe that that Robert Plant never kissed a girl or never or his, I don't know, until he was older because he left his house when he was like sixteen to pursue music. 
Yeah, that's why I think it was like a prostitute. Yeah, it had to have been a prostitute. Yeah. But um, I'm going to play a little bit of Living Loving Made because I can. So here it is. Bye. That's it, Living Loving Made by Led Zeppelin. I, I, it's so catchy. Yeah, who doesn't like so a catchy good. rock song? I mean, come on. I know, right? <sighs> Fucking Jimmy Fuck Page. Not saying that that's his least favorite Zeppelin song. He just, he just can't go crazy and noodle and take like a fucking five-minute guitar break on it so that he's all mad. I know, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Whiner. I know. Uh, I guess we could just move on to Ramble On, right? Well, like heart, wait, what about Heartbreaker? Oh, we talked about Heartbreaker. We didn't play it, but bro, we talked about bro. it. We, ta- we like dipped our toe in the water of a of an ocean of Heartbreaker. Okay, because so let's get more into it. The then. solo in Heartbreaker is the most important and possibly the best solo that Jimmy Page has ever done with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Period. It's a bold claim. Bold claim. I feel like... Oh. I mean, we, we, could, we could play Heartbreaker. Let's get... Like, okay, let, let's play it first. We should have play, played Heartbreaker before, but yeah, but you're stupid, so you fucking you decided not to. No, you you fucking to, are to an butt idiot, in. So you're you decided stupid. not to butt in. You decided to be an okay. idiot because that's what you do. So there it is, Heartbreaker. You break my heart.
see now. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to hear the guitar solo. So should I bring it back in or should we just kind of cut it off? What do you think? What the hell? Are you pressing buttons? No. Why? What? Are you still playing the music? Yeah, I'm still playing the music. Oh. Okay, I guess I'll play it back with the solo. Here we go. Is that good? That was weird. Yeah, you like cut out for like a second. Oh. And then that's why I got confused. Because <laughs> you have been known to hit buttons where you just like mute yourself. And then I'm like. I have. What the fuck's going on? But I, I tried to, during that part, I tried to uh, kind of like lower the volume but still play it and then going bring it back solo. up when the solo came in. Yeah. Yeah, but whatever. I tr- thought we could do something cool. Yeah, it works. It's just whatever but anyway. happened. I don't know. But yeah, dude, like that. A little heartbreaker. That solo, that man, that solo is absolutely perfect, and I think it perfectly like shows kind of what Jimmy Page was doing at the time, because so many guitars. But it's like one of the sloppiest solos. But that's what makes it so ever. good, because like that. I agree. That style, I agree. like the finger picking, so like style of of soloing, has now been copied so many times by other people, like notably Eddie Van Halen, who has essentially taken that and. And ran with it and, and made a career out of it. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And Jimmy Page can show you, shows you that he can do anything, absolutely anything. And this is like the, right. the birth hey, man, of like mid to late seventies and eighties rock music. Perfect solo. It's a solid fucking song. And then to end the solo, he he puts in like it almost sounds like a train starting, and then bottom comes in with the drums, and the song just keeps on rolling. <laughs> Fuck, it's so good. Ah, that's it is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And this this song was the first time that Paige used the the iconic Gibson Marshall combo. Mm-hmm. So that's um that's fun. Yeah, he switched from his uh switched from his telecaster straight into the the Les Paul. Probably the best thing that ever happened to that's Gibson. Crazy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Besides Les Paul himself. But yeah. And Slash. I think Slash is like the only other guitar player that is really or no, Ace Freely was was really well known as using a, a Les Paul as well. It's also cool to note that Page os- off- often improvised other classic songs into his solo. Notably, um, did he? Yeah. So, like on "How the West Was Won," you can actually hear it. But there's some there's some like Bach tunes in there that he'll kind of like mix mm. in and, and do like a medley, and as well as as a song "Green Sleeves." That was okay. A, that was a popular one that he kind of meshed into that solo, which is really fucking cool. <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't know he did. I don't remember. I mean, I haven't listened to that live record in fucking so many years. It's just like, who do you think you are? But Where you, not only can you now play a fantastic, iconic, one of the best ever written solos, 
but now you're like incorporating classical music into your solo. What a douchebag. It's not even fair. <laughs> like he's, he's on such a higher level. It's not even fair. Not even fair. <laughs> That's <just> so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. So let's get into um something else that I thought was really interesting. Ramble on. Now this is where uh Robert Plant kind of started to flex his uh muscles into uh fantasy and kind of folklore and stuff like that. So he 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 wrote the lyrics to this song Ramble On kind of comparing his own life to uh J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And I and this is his first kind of dab into that, which I thought was really interesting. Dabs for days. With the with the the acoustic beginning and it kind of builds up and picks up and dude, it's a fucking killer song. It is a killer song and it's like that's why it's become one of my like my new favorites. I also read just like yeah, a side yeah. note. I read a really cool thing about this song is at some point Paige and JPJ played the song with Dave Grohl and um, Taylor Hawkins and Taylor played during this song, Taylor played the drums and Dave Grohl sang and then mm-hmm. they played uh, rock and roll and then Dr- Grohl jumped on the drums and Taylor started singing for that song. Oh, that's so cool. That is so fucking cool. That, that it's that's fucking rad. That's what makes me so mad about the Foo Fighters. They have such cool things with their music personally <laughs> is so stupid. So irritating. Have you heard Taylor Hawkins have you heard Taylor Hawkins um uh solo music? Uh uh-uh. uh. Is it good? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's kind of in the same vein of Foo Fighters, but a little little weirder, I guess you could say. I didn't even know he was like but a it's still pretty good. slash drummer. I didn't I didn't I no yeah. idea. No, he played in in the in his solo stuff he plays guitar and sings. That's way cool. And like, then and then what was it like last year he uh Taylor Hawkins got like a um like a super group together to do uh, like he did like he he got together like a Van Halen super group and uh where they would just obviously cover Van Halen and he sang uh, Taylor Hawkins sang. Josh Freeze played drums, and then fuck, I can't remember who played guitar and bass. That's, that <gasps> that already sounds awesome. Though. But still, yeah, Taylor Hawkins and Josh Freeze. That's cool. That, that right there is cool in itself. But yeah, no, Taylor Hawkins is super, super talented. So that's cool no to idea. hear that he, that they did that. Yeah. And how awesome to share the stage with like two of the most iconic guys in rock and roll history. Mm-hmm. Fucking Dave Grohl. I know, right? Oh, bitch ass. <laughs> Fucking guy. It's not even fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, right? I was thinking about that earlier today when when I was just reading up on Led Zeppelin. I'm like, I've met I've met celebrities and I've met some of my favorite rock stars. But then I was thinking like, what would I do if I ever met Robert Plant or if I met Jimmy Page or Paul McCartney or like these people that are so legendary that they don't that they don't seem like they're real, you know? It depends on like where you meet them, because I mean we've always like the the biggest people we've met. I feel have always been at like the Nam convention where, yeah, they go knowing that somebody's gonna recognize them, even if they're not even like signing autographs. They're just walking around. Like Pat Wilson was at one time, and you, like you know who he yeah. is, so people are gonna recognize you. But like, what if but you I saw like Dave Grohl at fucking Walmart, like buying something at like ten o'clock at night? I mean, that would be cool. But I, I mean, I feel like. There's there's that, but then there's there's a a level higher than that. That I feel like they're, I guess you can call them like the untouchables. They're they're or they're legends. They're like they they don't seem like real people to me. 
and I feel like the guys in Zeppelin are that. Like, I can't Im- like if I were to ever just come across, or even like at a Nam show or a convention, to even talk to Robert Plant, I I can't even imagine myself in that situation. That's why I started to hate doing those uh, those signings because you st- I just you sound like such an idiot. Like, what could you possibly say to this guy who has a line two hundred deep that? 199 people haven't already said to him yeah and it's like, oh i'm such it's a true. big fan i'm oh, you're so gay like who the fuck he knows dude that's why you're fucking here he knows that <laughs> like, what could you possibly yeah. say to him that will keep his interest for any more than about two seconds it's true so it's very true I, I would rather meet somebody like out of their element i guess like i said like at a walmart or something but no i totally agree like jimmy page robert plant even guys like eddie van halen or you know half of the rolling or Paul stones McCartney or Eric Clapton or these guys are now know, on the level of like Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or, or like no, they're big to me. They're bigger. They're, they're, I don't know, man. They, they're, they're fucking legends. I, I you, just, you I, think that Robert I don't, and Jimmy Page are bigger than Al Pacino. Or Robert like De Niro? I've never, I've never, I've never been starstruck by anybody I've ever met, but I think if I were to come across the guys in Zeppelin, I would, I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, it's probably true. Like I just, I'd be so, or Paul McCartney too. Like I just, like, dude, you were in the Beatles. Like, I'm not. I mean, I like the Beatles, but well, I'm not I, like. I know exactly fan, what the I, fuck I would say to Paul McCartney. He's just, what are you doing, dude? Stop. Are you the real Paul McCartney? Would Stop. you say that? Would you say, are you the real? No, Paul I would McCartney? just say, dude, what are you doing? Stop. Go home. <laughs> Enjoy your life. Stop being a fucking idiot. Stop doing stupid things. Wow, you're so angry. Because he, he just does stupid things. Let's uh let, let's get into uh, ramble on. I'm gonna play a little bit of it right now, because I can. So here it is by Led Zeppelin. fucking song 
so good. So good. Man. Yeah, there, there's so many parts to the song that I think are 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 also iconic and memorable. Dude, that just like that weird tapping. Oh, I just mm-hmm. got a, I just got an alert on my phone. It says Oh about the haboob? It says dust storm warning till five five fifteen PM. Be ready for a sudden drop to zero visibility. Oh shit. And, they, and yeah, they tell you if you're on the freeway to pull over and turn your car off. So your lights aren't oh, on, yeah. so people don't think they're following you and slam into you on the side of the freeway. Fuck, that's so scary. <laughs> it's pretty. Di- I can hear it outside. It's pretty fucking windy, but it's not that oh, windy. Shit, I ain't a pussy. <laughs> All right, come on, come on. So yeah, I, I, what was I saying right now? Something about something. Uh, I forgot because I was gonna say something to go along with you, but now I totally forgot what you said. Oh, that noise, that what tapping noise, that that constant tapping. Oh yeah, noise. yeah, okay. Yeah, like I, th- whatever that is, it's like, it's 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 distracting, but it kind of like it goes in with kind of the weirdness and the ambientness of the song. I, I like it. I, I can't I can't stop listening. I I listen just for the tapping. I'm like who who wants to hear tapping? But I love the tapping. I know. Well, I from what I was reading too, not just in this song, but more specifically uh, Moby Dick, the the next song. Uh, they don't a lot of the members don't remember what John Bonham was actually hitting, but they believe he was hitting at least in Ramble On, he was hitting like a guitar case. And that was the tapping. So it was his hand, possibly like a ring on his hand, that was hitting the guitar case. But then what you hear in Moby Dick along with the drums is him hitting trash cans and all kinds of other shit. And the drums with his hands. So that's what we're hearing. We're just hearing the percussive element of John Bonham. That's ins- that's crazy. That's insane to me. That's I don't know, man. Just to it's even cool as hell. to to be like one of the greatest drummers of all time, but one of the best parts of the song is just you tapping on a guitar case. Mm-hmm. Great, brilliant. That's cool as hell, man. It is. It's it's absolutely um, just. It's I don't know. It's it's so, it's something so stupid, so dumb, so minuscule, but it's so good. It just adds to to the production of this entire record. Uh, and Jimmy Page's talent. I mean, he from what all of his session, all of his sessions that he did with other musicians, he learned so much in how to place mics. And uh, I, I know it's not specifically this album. I can't remember what fucking album it was, but it, it was uh, Jimmy Page was talking about it on that the documentary he did with uh, "It Might Get Loud" with Jack White and The Edge. Yeah, and he was saying for one of the Zeppelin records or at least a few of the songs on a Zeppelin record, they had John Bonham, they set up his kit like in this, this almost like a silo or like this giant open area of a house and they mic'd that whole room up and that's how they got these huge sounding drums. And I feel like this record, Zeppelin 2, was hit the beginning of him experimenting with mic placement and getting certain tones, which I think really impacted music in the future. Like mic placement is so fucking important when it comes to recording live instruments, and I feel like nowadays, especially people don't don't care anymore. You know, we hear it with the over compression of music, especially rock music, and it just it sucks, man. There's no feel, there's no like true tone to anything nowadays in rock music, or very little in rock music nowadays. Yeah, it's almost it's like a, a shame. like a standard now to record drums. And then go back into the recording and touch up every single beat, every single note that's been hit. And that's yeah. like why like I don't know. That's it's that's just where we're at now, I guess, in music. 
Yeah, the imperfections. I love the imperfections and the fucked upness of it all. But, uh, but also yeah, that's that, just, um, I mean. That, that violin sounding noise during the solo, he, mm-hmm. um, Paige, what he did to get that specific sound, which is kind of cool, he used the neck pickup of his guitar and then cut out all treble and then also added a little bit of like sustain effects to get this weird violin sound. No shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. That's just, really just like cool. Just tw- like tweaking to small things just on your guitar alone mm-hmm. can give you so many different sounds. And because this Ramble On song is so kind of ambient and out there and, and almost like they're playing in a in a, in a empty like arena or an empty opera house, mm-hmm. like it, it, fl- it, it goes really well with it. Yeah, and what uh, I mean that that just goes to show. I mean, we've been praising Jimmy Page so much, but also Eddie Kramer, the guy who helped engineer and co-mix this record. I mean, did you read his uh, who else he's worked with? Uh. Uh-uh. So he um, he's best known for working with Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix, and then he's also he also worked with the Beatles, uh, and he was the one who helped to create or like one of the main creators of uh, Electric Ladyland Studios in New York. Oh no! Like it, shit. That was that was him. He 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 worked with the architect to create that studio, that famous Damn. studio, like the so, most famous and, studio in rock history, or just in history in general, in yeah. music history in general. Electric Ladyland Studios next to um, what's the one? The Beatles one, Abbey Road. Yeah, next Abbey to that, Road. and he actually he actually worked on Abbey. He worked on that that Beatles record. He helped uh, co-produce and uh, engineer that that Abbey Road record. By the way, so. I mean, he's a he's a heavy, heavy hitter in music history, especially the fact at that, this time too, right? I mean, right? did this dethrone Abbey Road after the the this, number one? This spot? album did, yeah. The, this reached number one in the U.S. to and knocked Abbey Road out of the way, and this was number one for seven weeks after. So pretty fucking impressive. This album is a juggernaut. Good but stuff. anyway. Let's uh let's get into Moby Dick. Uh no lyrics at all. This is just uh John Bonham wanking for two minutes. But yeah. great nonetheless. Great it's, it's, nonetheless. It's really weird because the song there is kind of a stretcher for the song. It's like a sandwich and and there is Jones, JPJ and Paige playing just kind of a solid like bluesy tone or tune that's the beginning and the end but the middle is just like, okay, we're only doing this so that we, it's not just strictly a drum track because that's just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to like that shit. And so yeah. then it's like, okay, Bonham, do your thing. Like he is an animal. Like he's finally let loose from his cage and now he can do whatever the fuck he wants to do. And what makes it so like iconic and so good is that there's a lot of like dead air. There's a lot of just pauses there's a yeah. lot of him doing a roll real quick, like maybe like a th- like a three hit roll, and there's a pause, and then another three hit roll, and then a pause, and then like a fucking forty five hit roll, and then a pause, and then he'll go crazy with other things. So there's a lot of like dead air, and a lot of space mm-hmm. that he kind of uses to keep you interested, to keep you kind of going, to keep you wondering like what the fuck is he gonna do next. And also, wh- what I think is so cool about Moby Dick is that this is like one of the first times in in like pop music where people are using, where he was using like a tribal kind of, or like a almost like primitive way of playing a percussive instrument in pop music with his hands. You know, he, you, you didn't see that very often. I mean, you kind of started to see it with Santana, 
because he had like a straight up percussionist in his band. But I mean, in pop music in general, you didn't, you didn't have much of that. And this is like a good example of that where the drummer was doing both. And it's just, it's so different and wild for this time, this time in music history. It's fantastic. I love it. It is damn good. But even, even like the guitar parts, right? So this is one of the, the most notable times where you can actually hear Paige's squeaks as he's running his hands up and down the neck of the guitar. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's so good. Like we, we always talk about, sound. yeah, we always I talk about when sound. you hear like the, those little, those little like nuances and imperfections that would normally just be kind of edited out. Yeah. But th- in this song, it's so loud. And it's like, why do you, <sighs> why do you kick that it. out of there? Like, why do you not have that? It makes it so real. It makes it feel like you're there, like watching him play live. It's an entirely different experience hearing stuff like that. Like, what the fuck is wrong with people making pop music or pop rock music or metal music or anything like that nowadays? Like, I don't understand it. Like, oh, it's so annoying. Like, okay, so I, I know you don't really listen to this band a lot, but Tiger Army, their their new record that they came out with last week, or this week, this week I should say on Friday, they he recorded all of the instruments or all of his guitars on vintage equipment from the fifties and sixties, and I, he I don't think they recorded to tape, but everything was recorded and mic'd with vintage equipment. And listening to the new record, it sounds so wildly different than like the corn record that came out on Friday as well. Just dynamic wise, I'm just speaking strictly dynamic wise, like it's it's so vastly different when you're plugging straight into a board compared to when you're plugging into like real equipment or like really interesting mics. It's just insane to me that people think that you can get that same tone and sound out of a board. It's absolutely fucking insane. It is. But, and just that's what makes music of this era so unique and different is that, that, that thing that style, that tone. I think, I think my favorite part of his solo is when he does go into that really long roll mm-hmm. and it builds and builds and builds and then just stops. And you're in, and you're like, finally there's like, I'm going to hear something crazy and something insane that a normal drummer would show off, show off doing. Like we were so used to seeing like Travis Barker do his little drum rolls and his fills. And, and then he does his solo and it's so cool and it's so constant, but it just seems so forced yeah. And and with here it's like Bonham shows you that he can do it. He just chooses not to. Yeah. And well, then it's just like, stops. It's like what I said earlier in in this in the episode where like if you were to throw Ginger Baker in there, Ginger Baker would just fucking be going ape shit and just going nuts. I mean, he's an amazing drummer, one of the greatest drummers of all times as well, but just a very different drummer from Bonham. But Baker would have just just rolled all over it and just showed his true technical ability but bonham knows how to write a fucking song and he knows when to when to play and when not to play and that that's also what makes it that can make or break a drummer for me is if when you know when to stop and when to play because some people just go apeshit like you said travis barker a more modern example of that just goes fucking nuts he has some great stuff but sometimes it's just there's chill no, out dude stop playing so many notes there's no feeling to it though it's just yeah. It's like Evie Malstein. It's just he's just winking at that point. Yeah. I said, why why am I listening to this? Is there, this is not this is not historic. This is not iconic. This is not this is not you. Like any any great drummer can do what you're doing right now, but it takes mm-hmm. a great drummer 
like as a drummer too, basically your instrument is just noise. You're just banging on shit that makes noise. And for a yeah. drummer to not be doing anything and to have dead space and dead air when you're not making noise and, and still have it be good and, and, and flow with what you're doing, I think is, I think it's unmatched. Yeah, he could. He can evoke an emotion with so little, which I think is amazing. And with minimal symbol usage, for God's sakes. Like, he fucking barely uses the symbols. Yeah, absolutely. What are you I doing? In this, at, yeah, in this song, he doesn't even use the symbols, except when he's playing with the full band. But At, at the very end of his solo, he starts to incorporate the symbols, which then bleeds into the latter part of the song, which yeah. even more so, his solo like lives on because he starts to do more and more fills towards the end of the song. Yeah, exactly. It, it, like the whole song is just a fucking buildup, like a constant crescendo. It's so amazing. Fuck me. Another cool it's thing too, great, the, the How the West Was One um, recording of this was recorded at the Forum in LA. I didn't know that. Oh, was it really? Yeah. No shit, I didn't know that either. That's cool. Huh? Fuck, man. Dude, that's like one of the best. That's probably the best live record ever made. I can't think of a better live record than How the West Was One. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big fan of live records. I just don't like them. Yeah. But, yes, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, some other things about this record, too, I wanted to bring up. Like, speaking of, like, the uh, the kind of authenticity of the record and all that kind of stuff, and they they wrote all of these songs just in jam sessions between shows. Like, they they didn't take time out of their schedule to go write a record or go into the studio. They were just writing as they went, just when they had time between their shows. And and then they would just, just go into a studio one day, like on a day off, and just go bust out a couple tracks here and there, and that was it. Like, the making of this record, I think, is just, for this time, it's just so, so unconventional. And I fucking love it so much. I mean, nowadays bands can do it so easily because you can bring a studio with you on your tour bus, you know, because everything's digital. But doing it the way they did back then, I think is just so admirable when it comes to music. I, I think it's it's great. And it just shows on this record so it, much. It's such like a testament too to how, how close they were to each other where they're on tour for one album, but instead of already thinking like, hey, we need to start writing for another album, they say, hey, let's just go fucking jam. Let's, let's just go be who we started out as being. It's just a bunch of friends that want to jam and play music. And that's yeah. so rad. That's so that's so rare. That uh, I mean, that's, that shows how not greedy they were at the same time, but maybe they even knew how that they were that good that their jam sessions would just become a record. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's so interesting. And what, what I thought, all, I mean, it's kind of a little off topic from this actual record, but while they were making this record and touring at the same time, they were offered a spot at Woodstock, at the original Woodstock, but the manager and the band turned it down because they were just going to be another band on the bill. Like, they didn't feel like it was going to be anything special. So do you think that was like a hit to their career or like a, it was something good for that they didn't play Woodstock? I've always thought about this too, because I remember when we talked about Woodstock many, many moons ago, I think we did like a Credence album or something and we talked about mm -hmm. it, but I don't think it would have made a difference. I think they would have killed Woodstock if they played it. I think turning it down, I, I think either way, they would have still been who they were. I think mm -hmm. Woodstock would have just would have just been another 
I don't know, notch on the old belts, as uh, Vince Vaughn says in Wedding Crashers. <laughs> so I, I don't think it makes a di- would make a difference. I, I agree with you on that. I think Woodstock made a couple of the bands, like Santana. If it wasn't for Woodstock, Santana, I don't think, would have really taken off as much as he did. Same with Hendrix. I mean, Hendrix really kind of blew up with at the Monterey Pop Festival prior to the prior to Woodstock, but Woodstock kind of really catapulted him. Same with Joe Cocker, Janis Joplin, stuff like that. But I think you're right with Zeppelin. They would have still excelled had they been on it. Yeah, I it wouldn't have hurt fine. them either way. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess "Bring It On Home" is the last song on this record. Uh, this is just a straight cover. This is a Willie Dixon cover. That's straight up, nothing more, nothing less. It's a solid cover. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about it. It, it is kind of one of those. I don't even want to say it. It's a weaker song, but it is. Well, but be- it's still great. The beginning and end are a direct cover, straight up like rip off, I guess if you want to say that. But the middle are, is a little bit Zeppelin esque. Like they did add a little bit of their own touches to it. Um, I think the most notably part of this most notable part of the song would be like the blues guitar riff mm-hmm. that just like standard blues guitar riff and i thought of like several songs but like the most um obscure song that i could think of that had that also took that guitar riff that we would know was sublime and freeway time in la county mm-hmm. like that i mean th- like so many bands have taken that guitar riff and made songs into it because it's like a standard blues guitar riff it that is, was the yeah. most like obscure thing i could think of I agree with you on that. Absolutely. It's it's a very very straightforward song. But I it it adds it adds it kind of brings it all together at the end, you know? Cuz the beginning kind of they 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 did take from others and but they still infuse their own style and then the middle part of the record is just straight up them. And then this kind of it brings it on home. This is this is who truly inspired them. I think it's great. It's actually funny you say that too because I actually felt that the line "Bring It On Home" sounded just like "Whole Lot of Love" and the way he sang it. It's like the "Bring It On Home" sounded just like "Whole Lot of Love," and so it was almost it was almost like they started the album and they ended the album kind of in the same way, and it was just like yeah. this journey going out throughout, and almost like when a when a lead singer they play a couple songs and then the lead singer's like, "All right, we got Jimmy Page and guitar," and then that's when you hear like heartbreaker right or yeah. you'd be like oh then we got john bottom on drums and that's when you hear moby dick and then before that he should have been in- introducing jpj but then like the band will play a couple of other songs and that's it for the night right that's like yeah. how a normal show would go and that's how this album kind of went from beginning to end they played several songs and then everybody got kind of introduced and then it ended kind of like the same way it started with the almost the same kind of tune as bring it on home as it is Almost like the, the same melody, yeah. You whole lot of love. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. And like the last drawn out harmonica thing was like straight up like prison style harmonica playing. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, was toy. So good. Toy, toy like a toy guy. Um, all right, so uh, let's give our final thoughts and finish it up, yeah? Well, so briefly, I'm just going to, each person, I, I have a little bit more to say about each person, so. Okay. Let's um, do it. So as far as JPJ, like the craziest fact that I read about him, the most insane thing that I, I think is absolutely crazy. I think it's, it's a, nobody does this or probably has ever done this, but he's been married since 1967. 
I I read that too. That's insane. Holy shit! Yeah. How was that? Like, who has done that? Especially he, in this this <laughs> lifestyle. He's still married since nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. And he, and it's, it's totally crazy. Like he got married like when this band first started, right? And so, throughout like the seventies, he experienced what most people would die for, but still was married. I mean, who knows what happened? I'm sure they had problems like everybody, but. To be married since 1967, I thought it blew my mind. Like even <laughs> no, I, even more than his bass so playing, shocked. I was absolutely. Um, but Robert playing, I was, like the rumor I saw was that he said there are certain registers that he sings in that only dogs can hear. <laughs> what the fuck? He didn't even sing that high. <laughs> but like to some of the notes that he would sing, I guess. I mean, this is a total rumor and complete stupidness. But I thought it was. <laughs> I, dude, I laughed so hard. Um, it's also good to note that John Bonham did die at Jimmy Page's house. I think that's that's yeah, also crazy. And how fucked up, man, to see like your best friend and your bandmate dead in your house after drinking mm-hmm. forty shots in a night. Yep, in a night. I know. What are you Fucking doing? Crazy. Like, how? I mean, yeah. What do you? Uh, how can you even think that your body is okay with that? Like, I've that's been insane. fucking drunk in my day. At some point, my body's like, "You're done. Click, and I'm out. Done." Yeah. But 40, that's, 40 that's, fucking that's pretty shots. Yeah. I also read that he used these long, heavy-ass like uh, drumsticks that he called trees. And that's when you get that really <laughs> those really fucking loud noises where he gets a damn drum set so fucking hard like you do. Like me? Yeah, you hit the drum so fucking hard. I do hard. hit it pretty hard. Yeah, you're right. So when you, when you got tree trunks in your hands, no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. And then, I like um, playing the drums really hard. It's fun. And then just like a couple other things about Jimmy Page that I thought was interesting. But uh, he almost died when he was young, right? Because he got super sick with mono. Mm-hmm. And then he decided to stop playing music and focus on painting mm-hmm. because he was sick and he didn't want to play music anymore. Uh, eventually, he did come back to music. But well, you, obviously. like, what if he became a painter? Like, what the hell? That would suck. How weird. Fuck, that would suck. And uh, he started playing when he was super young and... and Basically, I mean, all these guys pretty much quit school, except for JPJ. He was always classically trained in piano and things like that. He always that. seemed like the smartest, the most technically savvy of the whole band for me. I read, too, that every time they went on tour, like, there were times when, like, other band members would just want to party and trash the room. Like, he was the one that would always go out and kind of, like, in disguise. But he was the bass player. So nobody really knows the bass player anyway. But he would always go out and like explore the town they were in because he wanted to like see the world. And he, it's almost like he he saw Led Zeppelin as like this this out, like he could get out and see the world and 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 do whatever he wanted. But yeah, the other guys in the band saw Led Zeppelin as a as a thing to just party and do drugs and shit like that. So it's kind of like a different mindset that, that both of them had, which is why I think that Bonham had died kind of in the right spot because JPJ. Dude, being married to 67, like he has a family and he wants to live with his family. And he mm. just, he didn't like touring after a while. He just, he did not like it. And I think it would have, it would have showed later in their music, even more so. I, than I don't, I did. think, I think they would have broken up sometime in the mid 80s, regardless of Bonham's death. Because you kind of already started to see it in the Presence album. Like, it's a good album, but it's just like they were winding down at that point. That's just the way it was. And the last cool yeah. thing I read about Jimmy Page was him and Keith Richards did it like a they did like an impromptu jam sesh, and they covered uh, a couple Robert Johnson tracks. Did they really? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I didn't look it up to see it because there was just, I mean there was just too much stuff to look up this week. So 
Yeah, it was a lot. But to bring it all home, Led Zeppelin, right? Keith Moon <laughs> or John Entwistle suggested the name of Led Zeppelin, as we all know, that their band would succeed like a Led Zeppelin. It would fail, basically. Yeah. And so, um, you know, fuck them. What do they know? <laughs> <laughs> what band are they in? <laughs> the Who? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, dumb. That was a good one, though. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was really dumb. I've been leading to my final thoughts. Like I said, this, I'm going to give this album perfect three. I've, I, I think you've, since I got into music, this has been like my go-to for any kind of, I don't know, throwback into like rock and roll and rock and roll's history. I think this album is absolutely perfect. I think this album is their best album because it showcases each individual in their best elements. Mm-hmm. And that's why I pushed so hard for this because obviously Moby Dick, Heartbreaker, but even JPJ on other songs like the Lemon song, the iconic, you know, bass line that he does with Jimmy Page. And then in other songs like Ramble On, when he's basically just doing the little bass part, along with the Jimmy Page's acoustic guitar, I think is absolutely fantastic. And John Bonham just slays it all the time. Absolutely, he does. So you give it a perfect three. Yeah, this album's a perfect three. That's easy for me. It wasn't even uh, a question. Yeah, I mean, this this for me, my final thing is... It's not my favorite Zeppelin record, probably a second favorite, uh, but it does have my favorite song on it, being the Lemon song. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not going to repeat what you said because I agree with you on, on just about everything. So I'm going to give this one a perfect three as well. It's can't be yeah. beat. Can't be beat. So that's it. This that's one. all. That's it. That's all. So yeah, that's one. it for the episode. We're not going to have any of the new music. Uh, I got to get going, but um, but yeah. So thank you all for listening to the pod. Uh, go rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Go follow us on social media at Asinine Radio. Send us an email, asinineradio at gmail.com. That's about it for the show. So, all right, all right, all right. David, 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 Oh, so good. All right, all right, all right. You ready for this one? <laughs> you should start doing that to Ryan and Mike and see like how long it takes him to catch on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I mean, no, they'll they'll both pick up on it pretty quick, and they'll both have like very different reactions to it. <laughs> Mike will go, "Oh, Matthew McConaughey, huh?" And then Ryan will get Ryan will say something like, "He'll be why mean are you doing that? It. You're just yeah, like, cool or something?" Yeah, he'll be mean. He'll be really mean about it. <laughs> but Mike will be playful. He's the playful one <laughs> in the house. <laughs> Trying to drink my beer, I'm giggling. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's replaced Kevin and some of the stuff I read about him when he joined the Yardbirds Boyds when he joined the Yardboids Yardboids